All right. Welcome to this week's episode of our show, True Data Ops. I'm your host, Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior. Each week, we bring you a podcast covering all things data ops with the people that are making data ops what it is today. Uh, our guest today, uh, my special guest and uh, longtime friend, analyst, author, consultant, and thought leader, Mike Ferguson. He's the owner, CEO, and head of research of Intelligent Business Strategies. Well, welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Kent. Real pleasure to be here. Great to see you. Yeah, it's it's been a while since we've gotten to catch up with all the things that have happened in the last couple of years. So, uh, looking sure forward has. to <laughs> having <laughs> our discussion. Uh, I mean, it's I think the last time we talked was about data ops. So uh, this will be kind of a, you know we'll, we'll dive into it a little more here. Uh, okay. For the folks who are listening today that uh, might not be familiar with uh, you and your, your body of work, would you mind giving us a, a little bit of your background in, uh, in data management? Sure. Uh, pretty well all my life, really, a professional career, uh, over 40 years now. I started out just as a, a normal database administrator, but very early on in my career, I had a massive opportunity to co-found a company with uh, a Turing Award winner and a very well-known uh, uh, person in, 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 in database. So I've co-founded a company called Cod and Date with Dr. Edgar F. Cod, who is, of course, uh, the inventor of the relational model. And uh, the other person was Chris Date, who wrote all the books on introduction to database. And if you did computer science degree, I guess most folks have probably had that text at some point. Um, so I was there for a number of years, and uh, of course that was pre-internet days, believe it or not. You know, so yeah. when we when we went around uh, talking about the relational model and stuff like that, you know, we were playing to audiences of thousands because you had to physically turn up at things in order to find out about these kind of new new areas of technology. Um, so yeah, I stayed there. Then I, uh, I got the opportunity. Got. Uh, I guess uh, approached by a recruiter and, and headhunted to join a, a, a startup in what was then Los Angeles um, to become a chief architect there, and uh, that, that startup was Teradata. So I uh, I moved uh, to Teradata uh, at a very early stage, I guess around about 1988, late 1989 kind of time frame. Um, and I was there until about 1993. So NCR bought Teradata in 1991, mm -hmm. and I think spun it out again in 2008. But I I stayed, I guess, until about, you know 1993, and then I um I guess geographically at that time it's a long time ago now, 30 years, right? So um I uh, I was probably in the wrong place on the west coast of the U.S. I probably needed to be like 500 miles north of there, north, um, yes, <laughs> um, rather than being in Los Angeles. Um, and of course, NCR were in the process of moving Teradata down to San Diego, so I I decided to move the family back to to Europe and um, you know stay in Europe. And uh, uh, and so I I went and joined my old friend. Uh, a guy called Colin White, who's retired now. Um, Colin asked me to come and join him, and so I set up a a company with Colin. And uh, I guess we amicably parted company. Uh, I guess about twenty years ago now, probably about ten years in. So um, 
And then, um, yeah, so I've been an independent analyst uh, and consultant in data management and analytics for the last 30 years, um, working for myself, well, initially the first 10 years with, with Colin, uh, but um, yeah, last 20 uh, on my own. And of course, um, working, well, primarily in Europe. I live in Europe, I live in the UK, but uh, uh, I get to the US a lot. Pre-pandemic, it was probably eight or nine times a year. So it, was, yeah. it felt like going every month almost. Uh, these days, less than that. But um, yeah, I, I, I still starting to travel a, a, a bit more now, um, now that things are opened up a bit more. But um, yeah, still kicking and screaming in, uh, in data management and analytics. But I've, I've been there pretty well on my on my career really yeah yeah no yeah you i mean you you're one of the the pioneers that you got the the full breadth of the history and development of relational technology from working with ef cod and cj date who basically you know cod invented you know, I remember reading cj's book myself early on in my career it was the first one that i could actually understand that about relational algebra and and set theory that it was actually very readable compared to all the other white papers trying to understand what this whole relation is as i was getting into it early in my career yeah. so you had the benefit uh, it, it was, of working with those guys and then yeah it was a, a, an honor in all honesty i mean it was a, an honor and um i uh I learned so much, you know, but I have to say, uh, going to Teradata as well, I learned huge amounts there too, you know, particularly with business, you know, big business customers just doing things uh, at, at that time, pretty groundbreaking things with data, you know, to to really, un, you know, drive their, their business value. But yeah, I mean, it was a, an incredible time, an incredible era in all honesty. I mean, uh, when I was with, with uh, Dr. Cod and, and, and Chris, um, and, and at the beginning, in a way, of the relational era, you know, when when I set really, yeah. the company up with them, you know, like relational was a new game in town, and um, and so there was kind of a, a craze around that, much like there is, I guess, around data ops these days. But um, you know, as uh, it, 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 you know, if I look back on my career, yeah, it's 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 been I've been very very lucky to have worked with such incredibly talented uh, people throughout. And and even, you know, at, at the time when I was there, I got the chance to, you know, go go meet with people in, very talented people in lots of different uh, vendors, um, you know, working on uh, database research and whatnot. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fabulous time. Yeah, I mean, you, you've really gotten to go through, I'll say, the, the entire evolution of our industry from the beginnings of relational, to, you know, working with Teradata early on, which was you know, our, our movement into this concept of data warehousing, which is now mm -hmm. turned into analytics, advanced analytics, machine learning, AI, all of that. And then, you know, the most recent thing that you and I had collaborated on was this idea of true data ops. And for our, our audience, uh, Mike is one of the co-authors of the uh, the True Data Ops concepts at truedataops.org and a co-author with us on the um, Data Ops for Dummies book. So obviously, you know, that's that's the conversation I want to have with you now is, you know, with all of that background, you know, from your perspective, what what is Data Ops? Where does it really, where does it now fit in with what we do with data and in the modern, in the modern era? you know, cloud-based and all of that. And, 
you know, what, what's the, the value of it? You know, what, what is it really? Because everybody's like, what is data ops? What does that really mean? Well, for me, it's a way to accelerate what we're, what we're doing um, and componentize it, you know, to, to kind of get beyond, let's say when I started building ETL pipelines, for example, 30 odd years ago, um, you know, I was kind of sitting there on my own, kind of figuring all this stuff out. And I think, you know, we've gone through, you know, the era of monolithic application building, and we went into microservices and collaborative development and being able to do sprints and all these kinds of things that were happening in software development. And I think the whole DevOps era, you know, tried to automate as much of that as possible and then push those practices into the world of data engineering and, and analytics. And and I guess for me, at least, the, the first people to adopt that weren't the traditional data warehouses, uh, housing folks. They were data scientists because data scientists were already writing code. And, yeah. um, you know, whether that be Python or R or, or, or whatever, um, they were writing it. And therefore, they were getting used to the kind of sort of uh, GitHub kind of um, uh, collaborative development approaches. And uh, I, I think the big uh, hurdle, if you like, uh, getting into, let's call it traditional uh, data warehousing professionals and whatnot was that, that they they weren't exposed to that kind of software development practice emerging and and so it had this kind of learning curve that they had to try and get over to get their brain around how does this thing work and um, very very similar uh, to what happened with agile when agile made its way into uh, the data uh, world uh, in the uh, early absolutely. 2000s right absolutely but I think the you know, basically, what it's what it's done is is try to increase the automation, shorten the time to build, if you like, and uh, and deploy or test and deploy. But at the same time, um, rather than have these kind of uh, massive impacts when something goes wrong, having kind of rippled through all all the way through, you know. A, a, a flow like it always reminds me in in, in your know, early days of data warehousing somebody changed the scheme of a data source and it would go all the way through you know your etl jobs your data models all the way under the data marts all the way to the reports just like a whiplash you know it was just um well and and so i think the idea of moving towards component-based development you know very similar to the sort of microservices era um, where, where you can make changes to, you know, business logic associated with an application without kind of causing a catastrophic impact all the way around it. Um, and, and I think what it's doing is data ops is introducing that into the world of uh, building analytical systems and, and, and analytical models. And so component-based development, I think, is uh, uh, the outcome, if you like, of, of adopting uh, data ops with with increased automation, um, and uh, you know I would uh, I would hope that well, I think the big challenge for for teams that haven't adopted that yet is 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 to learn how to go from uh, you know a finite set of people towards collaborative development and and really um, coordinate 
that. But I think the best way to do it, quite honestly, is learn from software development within the organizations that that data professionals are already working because a lot of those folks can do that for their day job all day long. I mean, they're, they're already doing that in software development and so, or in application development. And so kind of bringing those practices into the data team is a is more of a case of learning off of your colleagues rather than necessarily having to go out and you know, recruit expertise there. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of expertise within a lot of companies, but not in the data and analytics teams initially, um, more in the application development teams. So, so to me, I, I think data ops is about collaborative development. It's about um, uh, the ability to uh, coordinate and automate testing and deployment, um, and therefore shorten the time to value, if you like, by right. short, yeah. shortening the length of time to uh, you know to to deliver this. And and I think I think uh, you know techniques or, or uh, new initiatives like like data mesh and whatnot are kind of playing into that you know with the emergence of data products and 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 whatnot but yeah I mean I, I still think some of the practices of let's say traditional data engineering uh, are still can still be applied in a data ops world it's just that rather than it being one person trying to do all this stuff. We're, we're now into a much more coordinated, collaborative development environment where we can you know, speed it up and shorten the, the time. Yeah, and I think you know, that was obviously one of the goals of, of Agile when people started thinking of like two-week sprints and the measure of uh, success was you know, how how quickly could you put working software into production that solved a business problem? And so we've moved that over into the data world. It's like, how quickly can we get data or information really in the hands of business so that they can, you know, be data driven, right? And yeah. uh, and the speed at which we're moving today is just, you know, incredible. I mean, and you've seen it from the beginning to, to now, it's, you know, not only, uh, the the volume of data and how much data is available and we're talking zettabytes now of data globally uh, but the speed and so that challenge like you said is harnessing these techniques that you know have evolved in the devops world and software development and agile was the same way it developed really in the software world first and then kind of moved into into the data world uh, for organizations and i saw this when i was at snowflake there was because to a certain extent it, it's gotten easier you know with the cloud um, to get access to data and do things there are companies that are like almost completely they're, they're cloud-based and they may be net new companies net new industries net new niches that they actually haven't done software development because now it's just so easy for them to spin things up and get going. They're using SaaS applications, they're using Salesforce and other online CRMs, but they got to do the analytics. And so they don't have that background in the software development at all, right? This is completely new to them. Um, what would your advice be for companies like that that are really, you know, I'll say they're, they're modern cloud-based companies, they're running off of SaaS applications, but they desperately need to get into effectively using all of that data, uh, whether it's for machine learning, data science, advanced analytics, um, to become data driven, how did they get 
to this this place with data ops when they don't have the background in software development? That's a great question. I mean, I, and 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 in a way, it's a a challenging question because I think the one thing I've seen a lot recently is is a lot of people are grabbing technologies and really wanting to jump on all of this bandwagon, but getting themselves into kind of wild west situation, a kind of very chaotic, sporadic development going on and very little sort of sharing. I mean, I kind of think the whole idea is here to encourage collaborative development, I think is to um, to try to think about how do you how do you take complexity away? And by what I mean by that is how do you standardize things so people don't have to juggle with all kinds of additional complexities that they that they don't necessarily need uh, to do, and, and and so for me, um, you know, I think I think the whole idea about standardization is to kind of remove friction, to avoid unnecessary complexity, you know, to try and um, establish consistent approaches to building. Uh, pipelines and data products, for example, in a, in, a, in a data mesh and facilitate what I would call more like a plug and play kind of sharing. Um, so I, I kind of think that, um, yeah, there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, clearly in terms of standardization, I would be trying to, you know, use standardization to remove complexity, for example, you know, if whoever's using uh, cloud, you know, to get a kind of common organization of uh, managing data and a sort of storage layouts. I mean, trying to um, standardize on tooling so that if you're going to start sharing components, you know, I'm kind of not dealing with um, lack of integration problems between tools mm, because they, yes. you know, because if you if you're going to put those, if you're just going to go out and buy tools all over the place and they're not going to integrate you're going to run into these roadblocks and so therefore stifling the development of data ops because you can't easily collaborate and share because you know think think things are not working together i think templates and libraries and these kinds of things uh, also you know looking out for cognitive services you know if i've got things like i don't know um voice data and i need to convert it to text well you know i just need a standard service to do that you know if i'm going to you know validate some address data yeah i want a standard service to do that i don't want 20 different teams around the organization trying exactly. to exactly you know, yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I, I want these common components that you know really make a difference and i need version control around those things and and and, and all of that you know and so i think as well you know i would want to create a kind of community sort of sharing you know inside the enterprise kind of which i think is is kind of critical to success but yeah for me i would want to look to try and standardize try and facilitate you know templates and libraries that you can share uh, uh you know the and the tools and you know like if i need to connect to a uh unload of a file you know why do i have to figure out how to go and do that there should be a standard component to just do that and say well if it's this kind of file you know you, you, these kind of things should be parameterized almost you know and if i'm needing to um mask data you know well you know, there should be a standard service to go do that you know i mean that the, 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 there's a number of these 
I think, uh, components that companies can build. And in a, in a way, I think IT, you know, given that we've now got many more people outside of traditional centralized IT environments now getting involved in this whole uh, uh, data ops uh, world, then I, I, I think the, the job of centralized IT is to empower them. Yes. It's to yeah. upskill them, right? And it's to take complexity away from them and give them this kind of common services that people can go, oh, cool, I don't have to figure that out. There's the, here's one's already made kind of deal. And, and, and so I think that if we can get to that, I mean, it reminds me of when I look at data modeling, of which you know you're you're one of the most experienced people on this planet. I, I still look at it and I think, well, we're moving into a world of rather than a monolithic data model. Could I have data model components which are semantically linked? I can just kind of like say, yeah. okay, I need that one and that one and that one, snap them together. And and so you know we we we're getting into this world of breaking pipelines apart into components, wanting to speed it up by giving people standardized services to do certain things, um, and ultimately building you know, a number of reusable things. So for me, the outcome, if you like, of data ops is, is almost that we're, we're going from, you know, we're going into a world of assembling stuff, much of which may be already made, and sort of standing on the shoulders of people who went before you rather than constantly going back to zero and having to build everything from scratch. Right. Yeah. And, and I think you're you're hitting on one of the seven pillars of true data ops, which is the self-service and collaborative nature of a data ops environment. Um, yes. And exactly for these reasons to 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 be able to do yeah, and, that and, to deliver and I think value it, without reinventing the wheel every time. Right. And I think I think that improves efficiency. It reduces implementation costs. It reduces total cost of ownership. It gives you more reliability, lower maintenance costs, because you know these things have been tested a gazillion times. People are using them all over and they're reusing them everywhere else. And so, you know, when you pick up these kind of things, you know they're tested, you know they're. And so the net result is that, you know, over time we should be getting progressively faster. Right. Because and, and more. The, and, and, I think the answer, though, is is not just purely technology. I think that's part of what you've you've pointed out here is that we can have all the technology in the world. In fact, we can have too much technology if each team is like picking and choosing which technology they use. But we've got to have some agreement around the processes and the standards, and then, like you said, upskilling the people to take advantage of all of that. You, you, you're quite right. I mean, in my opinion actually human organizational element of this is just as important as the technology you know if you can get the organization of this thing right it's it's critically important when you know as, as i start to see more and more distributed development going on around the organization i'm kind of thinking like well where's the program office you know i mean like if i need to come up to a you know climb a ladder and look down on this thing like you know where do i go to do that is there somebody that can Kind of t you know tell me what's going on who's building what you know and 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 is there stuff that's shareable out there that you know you need some kind of coordination and that's yes. nothing to do with technology it's, it, it's a human thing right i mean it's an organizational thing 
Yeah, one of the things I've advocated for, and um, you know, some of uh, the data ops customers like like Roche have have implemented, is the the central IT team really becomes a center of excellence, right? And yes. They can trial. You know, if there's new technology, they figure out will this help the organization and the the different teams, and and what standards should we use? What data modeling tool should we use? What uh, what data pipeline tool should we use? But also still making sure that there's a, a centralized Git repository, right? And that people don't, like you say, yeah. have to go figure that out for themselves. And that can be kind of the, I, I see kind of see that and it sounds like you agree with us, the, the evolving role of a central IT department is like, don't we don't have to need to get rid of central IT, but we no. need to eliminate them from being a bottleneck and make them an enabler. And the way to do that is kind of, you know, they, they become that center of excellence to set and, the standards. And, and, and speaking of speaking of enablers, um, I, I would I would have to say um, I, I really like back in September when I was ch chairing my chair of Big Data London, as, as you know, um, I was listening uh, to Karthik Ravindran at Microsoft, the uh, general manager of Microsoft, who was over speaking, and he came up with a great term which I really liked, which was uh, center of enablement, not yeah. center of excellence. Center and, of and, and I like that idea. I really like that idea because um, it's even the perception out in the, you know, the business units you know, when you say center of excellence, it's almost like, you know, IT setting itself up to be, you know, we're the guys, you know, you must come and talk to us. We're center of enablement. Is, no, we're here to help you. And yeah. and it's it's just a change of a, a one word. But the perception in the business, I think, is is quite, quite you know, significant. And, and I like that. As you say, it's exactly what IT should be doing. They should be enabling, which is, you know, putting all of these things in place and saying, you know, if you want to go do this, well, you know, we've got all this stuff already in place for you, help you out, make you more productive. We've taken away the complexity or hidden it or whatever for, from you. And so you don't have to, you know what I mean? And in order to kind of, you know, try and, if you like, uh, yeah. oil those wheels and make it run, you know, hit the ground running rather than, you know, rather than, you know, running into all kinds of technical barriers along the way because, because they're they're trying to figure everything out themselves and in, in, in independently. So I I absolutely uh, I, th I think that central IT has a massive role to play, uh, and its role is to is it is to enable and upskill and get them to adopt best practices and and you know say you don't have to reinvent this because we got all these kind of capabilities here that you can go use, and and I think these kind of things all help shorten the time, reduce the costs, in both in terms of development time, development costs, but also maintenance. I mean, we all know over time, maintenance becomes a, a real challenge. And the, the, the yeah. you know, what, we, what we've learned from software development is, is that maintenance can be pretty rapid if you get this right. And you can, you can get lots of new builds and, and, and new deployments, you know, by adopting these kind of practices, and I think that's what has to happen here. You know, is is it it is about coordination, and it is about organization. And I think, I think the more you put into that, the the the, the slicker the development, the the more rapid it becomes, 
and and it then becomes you know like a almost a habit you know i mean it just ingrains itself into the organization as people start to adopt that and get better and better at it yeah yeah no exactly i i, I like that term the center of enablement i think you're, i think you're right because as we said it's you know this is people processes and technology and so there's people involved and yes. that idea of enablement versus it being you know the center of excellence is probably it's a it's a nuance but it's an important nuance if we're going to really collaborate well with the business and different teams across the organization um, by empowering them to do things like data mesh and uh, decentralized approaches so that we can get more value from the data faster uh, i think that's a that's that's a great change in terminology that uh, yeah we'll have to uh, keep saying that on things like this podcast uh, to uh, to to change the change the thinking out there about that but you know that's that's why we have people like you on the show and that that thought leadership and you know you 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 picked up on that and I think that's an awesome. Um, Awesome way to reframe what we've been doing. I, I, I have, I have to say, I mean, even even just trying that out in some of my own clients. I mean, the the, the thing that struck me was wasn't what IT thought about it. It was what business people thought about exactly. it. exactly. And yes. and that 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 change of wording was just a, just a complete perception that 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 IT is all of a sudden here to help us. You know, it's yeah. it, it it it's like it's not like it's them and us. It's just they're just trying to help us. You know, and 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 I I think there's a uh, you know that's nothing technical or anything. It's just a human perception thing. But it it ma it, ma it makes a difference. I think it makes a difference. You know, it it, yeah, it, puts, no, it I, I... puts it in a different light. You know, and and I and I think uh, you know the more. Let's face it. You know, the more we can shorten the time to value, lower the cost of doing this, and make it more rapid to to be able to, you know, seize opportunities by by bringing in new data and combining it with what we already have, what we already know, to be able to produce new insights and act on it. It's going to help everybody in the organization. And so, the whole point of data ops is to be able to try and and make that happen. Is you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that. I mean, that really is the the whole reason for the true data ops philosophy and seven pillars is to try to achieve all those goals. And I, I think you you point out, you know, the thing that we need to remember is it isn't just technology; it is people, and it has to be the people first. If the people don't see value in it yeah. And, yeah. and don't want to be part of the program, just like trying to get uh, you know product owners in the business back in as we were doing agile. You know, they've got to see how they fit into this picture, and it has to make sense to them. Um, just because it makes sense to technical people like like us doesn't mean it's going to make sense to the business people. And it's got to, we've got to bridge that gap uh, in, in order to to be successful yeah. and really build modern data driven companies. I agree, and I and I think it's a case of also not assuming that these folks all they'll just pick it up. It's okay. No, they won't. I mean, I think, no. I think what has to happen is we, we've got to, you know, go out there and teach these people these practices until it becomes a habit, you know, and then they're that then they're in, you know, then you've done your job. They're they're part of it, but you know, there, there's a lot of people can't get out of the starting blocks because you know a couple of pennies haven't dropped in their head somewhere, and and 
and and and so you know i think there's an obligation here from an educational perspective for best practices taking complexity away giving people you know as much reusable stuff as we can give them and you know implementing standards where it makes sense you know i mean so that in the long run what you've got is a you know is a well-oiled machine you know rather than you know we if you remember back to the sort of 2013 2014 era you know self-service data prep emerged and it was just wild west i mean people grabbing yeah. data grabbing data all over the place nobody had any kind of clue you know how anything was being produced necessarily it doesn't mean there's no need for something like self-service data prep it's just that we just kind of handed out technology and said you figure it out and and i think that's that's what we have to avoid and that's what data is trying to avoid this time around yeah i agree so well we're pretty much out of time here mike uh, but the last question that i, I want to ask uh, that i ask all my guests if you weren't doing data and technology, what would you do? So, you know, as you start thinking towards, you know, maybe stepping away at some day, uh, what would you do? Where Where is your interest outside of the data world? Oh, wow. I've got a number. I've got a number. I, well, I've got, um, of course, have to say I'm an ardent Manchester United fan, despite the fact that we're not top of the league right now. So I'd be spending more time, I think, watching watching games um but uh no i mean for me i uh, got a number of uh let's say hobbies i'm trying to get into sailing right now so i'm uh -huh. hoping to uh, uh just in the process of joining a yacht club uh uh near where my holiday apartment is and then hopefully i'll be able to um get more engaged in that um uh, and i certainly found out that you know the right way to get into that is um you know, when you join the yacht club, you you find out some people are uh, uh, looking for crew members, and so I might feel my way in that way. I mean, who knows? Probably end up with a boat at some point. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm certainly gonna uh, you know keep doing that. And um, yeah, apart from that, just um, uh, well, try and pick up the guitar again. I think. I mean, I've, I haven't done a great job of it through my working career was kind of great at the beginning of it, but lost it all in the middle. And so I, maybe I should try and get it back again uh, at the back. Oh, yeah. Of well, yeah. And if you get a boat, then you, you might be want to be out on your boat uh, singing some <laughs> sea chanties there, right? Well, there, there you go. There you go. I did. I did, I did a, a snorkel cruise in Hawaii one time and on a on a uh, whaling schooner. And uh, the uh, the captain of the boat had his guitar. And, you know, while we were out there, he was, he was singing some old classic uh, – sea shanties there for us so uh, that was uh and my wife loved that so it, interesting that's uh that's one of the things that's kind of on our list too is to potentially uh learn to sail we've enjoyed being on sailboats in in the past and you know maybe we'll we'll, we'll get out there and learn how to do it as well well that's good yeah thank thanks for coming on today mike this has been oh, this has been fantastic you. getting to catch up with you and get your thoughts on 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 what we're doing and uh latch on to that center of enablement uh, phrase. Uh, so hopefully every, everyone who's listening will start thinking about that as well. Um, thanks to everybody okay. who's out there joining us, who joined us live or might be listening to the recording of this podcast. Uh, be sure to 
check out our podcast uh, next week. My guests are going to be uh, board advisors, thought leaders, and educators, Randy Bean and Allison Sagraves. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting chat with them. So we we'll look forward to, to seeing you then. And in the meantime, have a great rest of the week. And, you know, keep listening in and uh, telling your friends about the True Data Ops podcast. <laughs>